I'm Noah, and this is the United States Constitution. Welcome to, uh, again, season two. Uh, we're talking about the amendments here, starting with 11. We're talking about Amendment 11 with uh, Daniel Rock, awesome dude from the United States Merchant Marine Academy, um, great personality. He's going to join us today. Let's read Amendment number 11. The judicial power of the United States shall not be construed to extend any suit in law or equity commenced or prosecuted against one of the United States citizens by citizens of another state or by citizens or subjects of any foreign state. This amendment says that federal courts do not hear lawsuits of states or foreigners. So um, the Supreme Court does not hear, uh, let's, say, let's say Daniel currently lives in New York City. He's a resident of the New York, New York City, pays taxes for New York City, and I'm currently in Florida. Um, the Supreme Court does not hear his case against mine. Um, and he does not, it does not hear, if Daniel was in France, it does not hear Daniel's case against mine you know, lost to another state versus a foreign country. Makes sense. Amendment 12. This is very long, and you'll have to bear with me on this one. Um, the electors shall meet in their respective states and vote by ballot for president and vice president, one of whom at least shall not be an inhabitant of the same state with themselves. They shall name in their ballots the person voted for as president and in distinct ballots the person voted for as vice president. They shall not make distinct lists of all persons voted for as president, and of all persons voted for as vice president, and of the number of votes for each which list they shall sign and certify and transmit sealed to the seat of the government of the United States, directed to the president of the Senate. The president of the Senate shall, in the presence of the Senate and House of Representatives, open all certificates, and the votes shall then be counted. The their person having the greatest number of votes for president shall be president, and if such number for a majority of the whole number of electors appointed, and if no person shall have such a majority, then from the persons having the highest number, not exceeding three on the list of those voted for as president, the House of Representatives shall choose immediately by ballot the president. But in choosing the president, the votes shall be taken by states. The representation from each state having one vote, a quorum for this purpose, shall consist of a member or members from two-thirds of the states, and a majority of all states shall be necessary to a choice. And if the House of Representatives shall not choose a president whenever the right of choice shall devolve upon them, before the fourth day of March next following, then the vice president shall act as president as in case of the death or other constitutional disability of the president. This person having the greatest number of votes as vice president shall be the vice president if such number be a majority of the whole number of electors appointed. And if no person have a majority, then from the two highest members numbers on that list, the Senate shall choose the vice president. A quorum for the purpose shall consist of two-thirds of the whole number of senators, and a majority of the whole number shall be necessary to a choice. But no person constitutionally ineligible to be office of the president shall be eligible to that of vice president of the United States. This is interesting because originally in the United States, um, they would cast their votes in, in, the, in the days of James Madison, uh, 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 John Adams, George Washington, Thomas Jefferson. Originally, they would vote, and whoever had the most number of votes was the president, and whoever came in second was the vice president. And... Obviously, in today's world, that doesn't make a lot of sense because if, if Donald Trump came in first and Hillary Clinton came in second, and just imagine that duo as president and vice president of the United States. It just doesn't work. 
Um, and, and it certainly did not work that back then, especially um, although these, these men were gentlemen, they, they certainly did not agree with each other, and a lot of times it got out of hand. Um, and eventually this amendment um, came into effect and said that you were casting a vote for the president and you're casting a vote for the vice president. You weren't just casting a vote for president and the, the runner-up was vice president. It, it clarified who was who um, and, and who, was, who was not. Uh, does that make sense? What do you think, Daniel? I think that agrees because if the first winner gets president and the second winner gets vice president, they're obviously not going along because they're two, they're of two separate parties. So then they're going to be going for their own party's mm -hmm. ideals. Right. Nothing would get done. Amen. Uh, Amendment 13. Everyone knows Amendment 13. Uh, this is the abolishment of slavery. So let's read it. Section 1 says, Neither slavery nor involuntary servitude, except as a punishment or crime whereof the party shall have been duly convicted, shall exist within the United States or any place subject to their jurisdiction. This abolishes slavery in the United States and any U.S. territories. Period. The end. Done. Congress shall have power to enforce this article by appropriate legislation. Simple enough. This just says that Congress can enforce this, um, which sometimes was misconstrued in the, in the era of Jim Crow, that they could enforce this and make laws that, um, that were against it, particularly in segregation. Um, but ultimately, the, the point of the 13th Amendment was that African Americans, uh, specifically in this time, Africans, uh, people of color, were, were not slaves any longer, period. This, this uh, abolishes that. I mean, it's pretty simple. Yeah. It's no more slaves. So, okay, Amendment 14. Uh, section 1 says, All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without the due process of law, nor deny to any person within the, its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. This clarifies that all people born or naturalized our citizens. This provides citizenship for the Africans, for the, the slaves. Slaves are free and they are citizens of the United States. This is a fresh start for anyone that is basically currently in the United States is now a citizen. This means equal protection under the law because as citizens of the United States with equal protection, uh, which we've talked about um, with due, due process, with uh, uh, previous things of that nature. Section 2 says, Representatives shall be apportioned among the several states according to their respective numbers, counting the whole number of persons in each state, excluding the Indians not taxed, but with the right to the vote at any election for choice of electors for president and vice president of the United States, representatives in Congress, the executive and judicial officers of the state, or the members of the legislature thereof, is denied to any of the male inhabitants of such state, being 21 years of age, and citizens of the United States, or in any way abridged except for participation in rebellion or other crime, the basis of representation therein shall be reduced in the proportion which the number of such male citizens shall bear to the whole number of male citizens 21 years of age in such state. Holy cow, that's a lot of words. That's a lot of that's, that's, that's a lot of crap. You, you want to summarize that? Yeah. <laughs> easy, easy summary here. Men age 21 plus have a vote. 
then. Obviously, this was changed by the 26th Amendment, uh, allowing women the right to vote. Um, 18-year-olds. Right. Uh, no person, section 3, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or under any state who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States or as a member of the United, any state legislature, um, or as an executive or judicial officer of any state to support the Constitution of the United States shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. More words. It's just more words. That's a lot of words. This is summarized by, by the following. Anyone who has aided the enemy or rebelled against the state is ineligible to hold any U.S. office. So it's like treason. Right, exactly. Obviously, if you commit treason, you obviously can't have a say in our government. Right, right, exactly. And, and that's just logical. In any government in the, in, in the entire world, if you go against the government and you're convicted of treason, if you aid and abet the enemy of that government, you've committed treason. And, and why should you have the right to... Uh, participate, hold a government, government office, right. or even vote in our country to participate in that in the democracy or yeah. the representative democracy, um, the the form of government that represents your state. Now, this can be taken out by two thirds of both houses of Congress. So, in theory, um, if two thirds of the House of Representatives and two thirds of the Senate want to take this out, they can do that. This was uh, listed in this. Section 3 says, no person shall be a senator or... Sorry, we already just read that. The validity of the public debt of the United States authorized by law, including debts incurred for payment of pensions and bounties for services, and suppressing insurrection or rebellion, shall not be questioned. But neither the United States nor any state shall assume or pay any debt or obligation incurred in the aid of insurrection or rebellion against the United States, or any claim for the loss or emancipation of any slave, but all such debts... Obligations and claims shall be held illegal and void. United States debt is secure, but the United States will not pay debts to traitors. Simple? Yeah, that's what just, that's just like reiterating what they said in the past moment. Right. Traitors are useless to the country. Right. Section 5. The Congress shall have power to enforce by appropriate legislation the provisions of this article. Self explanatory. Yeah. Amendment 15. The rights of citizens of the United States to vote shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of race, color, or previous condition of servitude. The Congress shall have the power to enforce, enforce this article by appropriate legislation. That's just Jim Crow laws. This just... This just right, exactly. This just further reiterates uh, the point that slaves are free and free... Excuse me. Free citizens vote. That's the way we live in our democracy. You are free. You vote. You were just made in the democracy, unless you've committed, you've committed and can been convicted of treason, which is just logical. Yeah. Amendment sixteen. The Congress shall have power to lay and collect taxes on incomes. From whatever source derived, without apportionment from the several states, and without regard to any census or enumeration. 
This is income tax. Um, the government has a federal income tax, and we we pay it just because the federal government says to, um, and it's it's based on on what we make in a year, what our income is. It's based on so many different things, um, but essentially it's it's what you made as a citizen of the United States. Then determines what you owe to the United States. Previously, this was not allowed. Um, states uh, and, and the federal government made these taxes, and, and only in the House of Representatives, mind you, it only made them in that House. Um, it only made these based on the proportion of the people in the districts of the United States. This amendment gives the, the federal government the right to levy taxes against you as a citizen solely based upon what your income is. When I think about this amendment, I just think about the government was in need of money. And so they said, you know what, we can't find what we're doing right now. Let's just tax what people are making. Um, which, honestly, makes it makes some sense to me. I'm a very... Um, I think taxes are good and bad in a sense. Um, again, this, this is an impartial podcast, and, and it's, it's very uh, unbiased. But it's, uh, we can, we, anyone can say that taxes are a good thing and taxes are a bad thing, um, just depending on what it's used for and how it's levied against the citizen. Um, each citizen in this country um, obviously has these rights that we discussed in the previous episode, the right to speech, petition, press, um, religion, uh, assembly, all these things, you have the right to be protected. You are protected by the federal government. The government is meant to protect your rights. And the income tax is what you're go- is decides what you're going to pay to have those rights protected. You got anything to say, Dan? That's a lot of words. I feel like income tax is basically just saying, like what you said, we got a lot of money. We need money. We're in a tax uh, the more wealthy population, and they just sort of figured out who was wealthy by how much they made, and then they came up with the income tax, and it basically just slapped a fancy name onto it, saying we're in a tax the uh, wealthier, and then we're let the poor off with the less tax because we need money. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. I mean, it's just um, we we are provided protection. We can go anywhere. We can literally go anywhere in the world. Um, except for places that obviously we have uh, are too dangerous or whatever. Uh, we can go anywhere in the world with our American passport. Say, so do I have mine right here? Look at that. American passport. Damn, all right. Go anywhere in the world. Um, and we think, I think about this. When I think about that, I think about it to the Romans. The Romans controlled the entire, uh, the, the entire, uh, I guess it was the, it would have been their western, uh, I guess, coast. But they, they controlled England all the way down to the Mediterranean, and they could go wherever they wanted because they had the Roman protection. And that's essentially what we have today, is we can go anywhere in the world, and we are an American citizen, and if an American citizen gets uh, kidnapped, captured, gets harmed in any way, you go yeah, to an American just... embassy, and you're protected. Yeah. We got basically eternal protection. We, we, have, protection. we have tremendous protection by our government, and it's, it's an awesome blessing. Uh, it's a great thing to have, um, but it does come at a cost, and the citizens do have to support it. Um, that because that's just fair. Yeah, I agree with that. It's 
you give and you gotta you get you give what you gotta get to. You can't just expect unlimited protection wherever you are and expect to give nothing. You gotta expect to give something, which is the income tax. Makes a lot of sense. And we'll move on next week uh, to further amendments. I thank you for listening, and I hope you'll join me next time. And again, this is the U.S. Constitution.